Hey, music executives, before we hop into the show, I've got three quick requests. One, consider becoming a supporter of the show. You can do so by clicking the link in the description of the podcast. Two, if you haven't already, or if you have already, go stream our latest single, Gold Star. It's under the name Sentimental. Yes, rebrand. Yes, it is happening. Sentimental is now my new artist name. Nonetheless, go stream the new song, Gold Star, that myself and Dank Studios just released. Number three, if you're looking to promote anything on the Music Executive Podcast, please email me at sentimentalproductions at gmail.com. We are expanding. The Music Executive has been here for two years, and now we are in a place where we are getting numbers, honey. So please email me at sentimentalproductions at gmail.com. Otherwise, let's get into the show. But I do think for sure that one thing that we need to stop doing as a musician body, and it's, it's so many things, but the main thing that stifled me was comparing myself to other people. This is The Music Executive, a show where we talk about gig tips, music business strategies, songwriting experiences, collabs, and even more with industry professionals. Let's get into it. All right, y'all, welcome to the show. My name is Cinnamon Denise. That's Cinnamon Like the Spice, Denise Like Denise. And today we have an amazing guest. His name is Isaiah Hill. Now, Isaiah is a not only a self-taught piano player, but he's also a successful piano player and music composer based out of Atlanta, Georgia, who has played for artists that I'm sure you and my parents and their parents have heard of. And even probably the generation after as well, such as Keith Sweat, Monica, and Tamar Braxton. So Isaiah, thank you so much for being on the show. What has been the highlight of your day? Great question. The highlight of my day is funny because it literally probably two hours ago, I had to go to my parents' house because I got a call from my wife saying that Dr. T's in the car. So I'm in the midst of making music for television and I get that text and I'm like, okay. And I'm literally about to hit bounce on my session. And she's like, you can come over to try to get the keys out my car. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Yeah, I got you, right? And it would be the day where Georgia finally went size to happen today. You know what I mean? So I was outside with the locksmith for probably probably 30 minutes trying to figure out how to get into this car. So really <laughs> a positive highlight, but it's definitely a, that was the most eventful part of my day. There you go. But you got to be there for wifey, right? Gotta be there for her. her. Well, we're so excited to have you today. Can you tell us just a little bit about your background? I know I touched on some things, but I think you know you better than I would know you, right? (laughs) So those were my a few of my favorite things about you. But tell us some of your favorite things about the projects you've done and the things you're working on. Yeah. So those the things that you touched on, those are pretty much the highlight of my, you know, touring career. And all of those gigs came like the Keith Sweat, Monica, Tamar Braxton, and a few other like local artists. You know, that was kind of a snowball effect. I got the Monica gig first, and then that turned into the Tamar gig because they have kind of the same camp, same musical director, different band, but just, you know, same kind of team behind it. And then that turned to the Keith Sweat gig. So that's kind of my touring life, though. Between those three, they kind of keep me busy, mainly with Keith Sweat, because I'm one of his three keyboard players. 
But other than the touring and playing live, I also do a lot of live gigs around town. I do like a lot of private gigs and stuff like that. Turning my attention more toward composing music for television and film. So right now I'm working with a few music libraries that, you know, give me brief. And they're like, hey, we need a song that sounds like this, but we can't because we don't want to get it clear. So can you kind of recreate, put your own spin on it? So I've been kind of in the mode of just like really dissecting popular songs and you know, try to keep the integrity of the song, but still putting my own flair on it because they called me because they like my style. They didn't call me because <laughs> they wanted to call somebody, you know what I mean? So do what they ask, but still, you know, put yourself in there. Got you. Got yeah. you. Yeah. Let's back up because you kind of just jumped. In. You passed everything I'm trying to. You way past me, Isaiah. Okay. But listen, so let's start with the self-taught piano player. What does that even mean? And how did that lead to a full tuition scholarship? to the prestigious Berkeley College of Music. Shout out to Berkeley students. Berkeley, woo woo. Shout out. <laughs> I feel like for this story to make sense, I'd have to go back when I first started playing piano. My granddad, it was I had to be like maybe six years old. My granddad, me a bicycle for Christmas and bought my sister, my older sister, a piano for Christmas. And we've always had this kind of sibling rivalry. So we thought that the other person had the better gift. So I was like, nah, my sister isn't going to get the better gift. And my sister was like, nah, he ain't about to get the better gift. So <laughs> we put our gifts down and like gravitated to the other gift. So shout out for, to Janae for, for being stubborn and not wanting to piano because that's what kind of introduced me to piano. So then from there, all the toy piano had to be 40 keys that had the, you know, programmable sounds in it. So you can hit a button and it would play Mary Had a Little Lamb and a Little Star. And I would just hit a button, you know, listen to it and just try to play it back, not knowing that I was setting myself up for being able to play by ear. I just wanted something to do in my spare time. I thought it was a cool thing to do. It went from playing Mary Had a Little Lamb on my small little Casio keyboard to, you know, later on in middle school and high school, learning songs off the radio and trying to play it, you know, for the girls in high school and playing for the talent shows and just trying to, you know, just play piano just to entertain people. But I didn't start taking it seriously until high school. My junior year in high school is when I got into jazz band and they didn't have a piano player. So my band director, Mr. Oliver, uh, William Oliver, huge shout out to him because he was very instrumental in just making sure I was set up for success at an early age. He was like, I know you can play by ear. I know I can sit anything in front of you. You can play it. That's cool. But I need you to read these charts because this is a whole other side of the game that you need to know. And I'm sure you already know, like, those are two different worlds. Like, you know, reading music and listening and playing by ear, it really takes two different parts of the brain. And the great musicians are able to do both equally as well. So he really pushed me to be able to be able to read music like charts and sheet music and all that and individual notes and everything, because I told him that Berkeley was the only school I wanted to go to. That's the reason he was so hard on me. Um, He was like, are you sure you don't want to go to this other conservatory? You know, it's a lot out here, man. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to Berkeley. <laughs> I have nothing else on my list but Berkeley College of Music, because I just knew Berkeley was progressive. They were accepting of every style of music, gospel, jazz, funk, contemporary, everything. Right. Berkeley accepting of everybody. So that's why exactly. I wanted to go there because I know, you know, whatever I wanted to do, I'd have that support there to, you know, really let my gift shine. 
So between the Casio keyboard, William Oliver, and just my love of trying to play music, entertain my family and friends, that's what really, you know, gave me a practice to be able to learn by ear. Okay, so you learn how to play by ear. You learn how to read charts with William Oliver. I'm thinking he said his name. So like you said, shout out to Mr. Oliver. I feel like a lot of musicians have that band director that just sets you up for the right thing. Shout out to the band directors, man. So you said, I'm going to Berkeley. What happened senior year, junior year of high school that manifested that? So I also have to give a shout out to CMC Atlanta. It's a small network. And I was able to basically just teach lessons for this music school. And the funds pretty much went to fund my tuition scholarship, my full tuition scholarship. So I feel like just by me putting that into the atmosphere and manifesting that opened the doors for me to be able to hook up with these people that allowed me to go to Berkeley. Nice. Yeah, yeah. that's beautiful that, that you have that support system and that they've really set you up for literally success. And my thing is, where did film scoring come into the picture? Like, where did this come? How did this develop? Like, what? This is all the way left field because you mentioned that one of your dreams, which I'll let you talk about, one of your dreams is to score a very specific film for a specific company. And yeah. where in the world did this come from? It's funny because I was talking to somebody today about this. And for me, when you get into this industry, it's funny. I'm not a big movie person. I'm not a huge movie buff. Yet you want to score. <laughs> <laughs> Yet you want to score movies. So this passion really came from, with me being on the road, that came also from me really wanting to be on the road with all these artists. I was praying. I was begging. I was doing all these phone calls, just trying to get on the road with these artists. But meanwhile, I saw my friends on the road with all these artists, you know, doing their thing. And I'm like, I'm at the crib chilling, not doing anything. But I feel like with by me praying, God put me on certain, told me that this isn't what you should be doing full time. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times we're going to do things because we want it. And then we're going to be there and be like, you know what? It's cool, but there's more. And I, I really feel like in the music industry, you know, we musicians only see a certain you know, a certain thing. We only see, we think the pinnacle of our musical career is get a gig with a dope artist and we've arrived. That's it. Like that's the pinnacle of our career, but there's so much more out there. And I got introduced to it a little bit at Berkeley because there's a whole film scoring department at Berkeley. So I knew about that, you know, so I took some film scoring classes, some business classes, but the passion really came after I left Berkeley and came back home. I was on a gig and it was a strange gig because I was playing, but I was also, I just wasn't present. My body was present, but my mind was elsewhere. And I heard the voice of God say that you should be scoring films. I heard it clear that he said you should be scoring films. But it was confusing because I've never really had a passion for it up until that moment. And then the more research that I did after that gig, I was like, this might be the industry for me because it's something really fulfilling about seeing picture and putting music to it because they work one and the same. You can't have one without the other. You know what I mean? They can both function well without each other, but when you bring them both together, it's a powerful thing when they're done right. Right. So I have a friend who said, I watch scary movies with the music off and the subtitles on, and it's no longer scary. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, first and foremost, 
If you're that scared of the movie, you shouldn't be watching the movie. <laughs> Start but, off and go to bed. To go to bed. Go watch a Disney movie or something like that. But, <laughs> but you know, that's the power of music is it evokes such a, so much emotion when you're watching anything. Is because if you're saying you're, you compose scores, that's not just for music. That's not just for movies. That can be for commercials. That can be for television shows, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not just movies. That's a lot of things. Now, the other thing that I do want to ask you is this show is about individuals in the music industry who are making it happen, have made it happen, and are going to continue to do so. So what is something that you have seen other musicians or composers doing that they should just stop doing? Because you mentioned, hey, people think we get to it. We play for a dope artist. We go on tour. That's the pinnacle. Clearly, you don't think that's right. You don't think that's it. So what are what should we stop doing? Should we change the mentality? What do you think? So when I say that it, it's not it, it's person to person because that person may have that from being a youngin and they get on that dope gig and they do feel that in their heart of hearts that they're fulfilled. I just didn't personally feel that fulfillment playing with art. I'm still going to do it because I love that energy of being on stage and that rush of playing in front of thousands of people. I feel like that's super dope, but I'm just not as fulfilled as when I'm put on my composer hat. But I do think for sure that one thing that we need to stop doing as a musician body, and it is so many things, but the main thing that stifled me was Comparing myself to other people. Whew. Boom. That right, <laughs> right there, that rabbit hole of all oh, type of depression, anxiety, bad thoughts. Yeah, we got to- Episode over. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Let me ask you just about two more questions, Isaiah. What role would you say your faith has played in your career? You keep bringing up God. How do you integrate that into your career? I just know that the opportunities that I've gotten, I wouldn't be able to have it without God in my life. And people believe in different things and whatever power you feel like guides you, you need to believe in that and lean on that. Because personally, I feel like if it's up to you, you're only going to get so far. You're going to need help. And, you know, I'm a huge interview person. I love watching interviews. I just love hearing people speak. That's one of my quirks. I just love hearing, you know, I love hearing people speak, especially like people that just speak well and and very concise, very intelligent people. One thing that I hear a lot of successful people say is I didn't get here by myself. Now, whether they had a strong team behind them, they had a strong mother behind them, a strong village behind them or a strong spiritual belief behind them. You're not going to get to where you want by yourself. You'll get to a cool place. You'll be like, cool, I made it here. But you're only going to go so far by yourself. You need help, whether it's from, like I said, from that spiritual being, in my case, it's God, whatever religion you believe in, or just a good set of solid friends, which I'm grateful to have. I have a solid circle of friends that I can call my brothers and my sisters, or it's a strong family, a strong village. You need people around you to push you to where you need to be and to where if you say something, they're like, okay, we know how to, you know, help you get there. Get there. Exactly. Totally agreed. Totally agree. There is one of my professors at Berkeley as well. I told him, I was like, oh, I'm going to mix my album. He's like, why are you mixing your own album? (laughs) He was like, Esperanza Spalding doesn't mix her album. (laughs) And I was like, like, you might have a point. (laughs) And that's the same thing you're saying. You have a team, you have people around you, you have whatever spiritual belief you have. That's what gets you to where you're trying to go. 
And it's not just a one-way street, right? You're, it's a mutually beneficial relationship. And mm-hmm. that's the beautiful thing about music. I think there's a camaraderie that happens. Like you can't have a band. You can put a band together on, by yourself and kind of do a looping thing and that sort of thing. But a band is a group of people. Yeah. <laughs> you need to feed off of. And there's another, no other energy like that, which is why it's tough right now because, you know, I'm not playing in church. I'm not doing as many gigs. So, you know, I'm in the studio, you know, composing a lot. So I'm missing that just person to person interaction, you know, where I can like look at the bass player and be like, oh, snap, yeah, that was dope. Look at the drum and be like, oh, bro, that was killing what you did. You know, that you can't recreate that just by yourself. Exactly. Totally agree. Well, this has really been great. Where, if audience wants to follow you, where should they go? How can they find you if they want to email you? Where can they go? You can find me on Instagram at Isaiah underscore Malik Music, Facebook, Isaiah Hill. And my email address is Isaiah Malik, number one, at gmail.com. And I'm always near my phone, always near my laptop. So if you hit me up, I'll hit you right back. Beautiful. Well, Isaiah, we are so honored to have you on the show. You're full of energy, full of light, full of love. So thank you so much for being on the show. Y'all have a good day. Thank you so much. Don't forget to leave a rating of the show. It helps to make us better. Thanks so much. Y'all take care.